And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to the Masogi Method with work happiness expert Jody B. Miller. Each week, Jody interviews amazing people who have broken through huge barriers to achieve meaning, success, and happiness in their lives. For each of us, the path to lasting happiness has always been there, but it may take a Masogi to get you on it. Here's your host, Jody B. Miller. Welcome to the Masogi Method, breaking through barriers to achieve meaning, success, and happiness that lasts. I'm your host, Jody B. Miller. Today's guest is pretty cool and calm and collected. He's the author of seven books about a Buddhist style of meditation that can be helpful to anyone in any mental or emotional state. He injects a human perspective in his books, and humor too, I might add, which helps readers understand the benefits of meditation and to be inspired to go down a path of meditation themselves. I am peacefully happy to welcome Lodro Rinsler to the Masogi Method. Hi, Lodro. Welcome. Hi. So good to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. So I'd love to just jump right in if that's okay with you. Of course, go for it. Okay, so you were brought up Buddhist. Yes. And how did that, are, were both your parents Buddhist? Was one a Buddhist? Um, what, were you just inspired? How did, how did that all come about? So my parents um, began practicing meditation in 1970. And uh, my mother in particular she moved to a Buddhist retreat center in Vermont and my father started courting her. And as a result, in order, if you're going to go court someone at a Buddhist retreat center, you end up meditating a fair amount. So um, by the time I was born in the early eighties, it had already been a big part of their lives. And it's not that it was forced upon me as a kid or anything like that, but it was always in the environment. And I um, sort of just through osmosis, I suppose, ended up just starting my own meditation practice independent of them. And they, you know, my mother came across me one day before dinner and I was in my room doing that. And over dinner, she said, you know, what, what were you doing? And I explained that I was meditating. And she said, you know, what does that mean to you? What did you do? And I said, well, I sat there and then I paid attention to breathing. And then when I got distracted, I came back to breathing. And she goes, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but it's so transformational. I mean, you know, I, I get a lot of questions from parents saying, like, how do I get my kid to meditate? He's two, you know, and it's, uh, <laughs> I don't think we ever get people to meditate at all as much as we would like our, you know, partner or difficult coworker or whatever to meditate and calm down. Um, it's like people have to sort of be inspired by it. And I, I think that was sort of my experience growing up that I was inspired by their own practices. So I was interested in myself. That's awesome. And then you started teaching it as well at a young age. Yes. So um, fast forward, I was, uh, in my late teenage years, I went off to a place called Gempo Abbey, which is a um, abbey that uh, most famously has the Buddhist teacher Pema Chodron associated with it, and uh, shaved my head, took the robes, the whole nine yards. And wow. it was a moment that my path really diverged from my parents, because they had never done the monastic thing. And um, it was very much my my efforts. And um 
I came back from that deeply inspired and went to university a year later and was, I formed a little meditation group there and invited a lot of teachers to come speak and do meditation instruction. And finally they turned to me and said, we're tired of schlepping to uh, your school. Why don't you just, you've got all the requirements. Why don't you just get trained to do meditation instructor training? So I did that and I started teaching when I was about 18 years old and I'm turning 36 now. Yeah. That's so cool. It, it kind of reminds me of um, in my latest book uh, called Drift to Shift, one of the stories is about a gentleman named Manoj who was the CEO of a company. The book's all about people kind of um, overcoming big barriers in their lives, and that ended up leading to my TEDx talk, but that's, that's another conversation. But in this book, Manoj realized he wasn't doing what he loved, and now he teaches Vedanta yoga, and he collects Hindu and Buddhist deity art and he meditates and he can tell you who your archetype is and it's really really cool yeah it's absolutely wonderful yeah it's just so neat to see people transform with the whole Buddhist experience so I found your book sit like a Buddha when I went to the Vedanta temple in Santa Barbara there are a couple of them in California and I'm a curious type so I just sat down in the bookstore and I started reading it and I was waiting to go to a lecture by a monk about silence, which I think is probably a big part of meditation. And I thought, I have to reach out to you and ask you to be on the show. Because when I finished the book, I was just, I was totally inspired and changed my personal meditation practice. And I'm just really, really excited to have you here. And maybe we could go through actually that particular book, because I think it's a really good technical book about how to meditate and the benefits in it if that's okay with you yeah I'm, I'm happy to you know i i think there's so much out there about the different forms of meditation and you know i co-founded something called mindful which is a network of meditation studios and we've got 45 teachers that come from kundalini traditions vedantic traditions um, buddhist traditions jewish mindfulness instructors you name it and um because there's meditation's really hitting this peak point where people are getting interested in it. Um, it's sort of hard to know what's what. And so this book, Sit Like a Buddha, really is just a guide for one particular style, which is known as mindfulness. Of course, mm -hmm. that style has become very popular. I heard recently that if you go to Whole Foods, you will find something called mindful mayonnaise, which I'm not sure. Yes, I shop there. <laughs> more mindful every time you eat it or... If <laughs> on how to mindfully eat a sandwich but um you know there's something sort of in the culture right now but mindfulness is the act of being present with something that's going on right now non-judgmentally so mm -hmm. the way we often train in that is to actually be mindful of the body breathing and part of that is just because the body's already doing it like even as you're sitting here we're having a conversation we're breathing as people are listening they're breathing it's already happening so we don't need to do anything um, we don't need to fix anything. We don't need to change anything. We can actually just relax into the present moment through focusing on this thing that's already occurring, which is the breath. Which is so key to be pay attention to. The, the part that I just was laughing about when, um, to me was kind of funny because it was hard for me was the actual posture. And when I sit to meditate, I have very tight hips because I was a long distance runner for a long time. And so I'll go in a yoga class, for example, and sit on not one, but three bolsters because my, my knees are around my chin. So how do you, how do people sit that are, their bodies are tighter? 
Great question. I, I do think it's helpful to work with a trained meditation instructor who can actually sort of look at your body and help you find the right posture for you. Um, you know, I think there's some very basic fixes that are universal and have been around for thousands of years that I don't necessarily feel like we need to mess with. But, um, you know, for people who have longer legs, you might want to sit up higher. For people who have an issue um, in terms of their back, there's ways to actually offer yourself some back support. And I'll just sort of touch on a couple of things briefly. One being that a lot of times people have issues when they sit down to meditate with their legs crossed because their legs fall asleep. First of all, some people really prefer to kneel. And if you kneel with your legs parallel, it's actually not a bad thing. And it's actually quite easy. And then for people who prefer to sit cross-legged like I do, making sure that your knees drop a little bit below your hips. And the reason that actually happens, it sort of elevates you to a way that the blood flows more normally. And lo and behold, uh, your legs aren't as likely to fall asleep. Your knees aren't going to be in as much pain. So it really, like the little subtleties of knowing what we're doing around these things goes a long way. Mm -hmm. So then you're not distracted by a little tweak here or there. It's got to, it sounds like it needs to be comfortable, but present and not too sleepy of a position. Yes. Um, and then you also mentioned having your eyes open, which I thought was really kind of interesting and unique. And so I've been trying that by looking out. I look more out at nature, but um, you had mentioned sort of just looking ahead or looking a little bit ahead of you. Yeah. I mean, so much of this particular practice is just being with things as they are. And mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I live in New York City. It's, you know, things can be loud. Oh, and yes. I used to live there. <laughs> Very loud. Sometimes it can be quiet. And it's sort of like we're learning to hold our seat regardless of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And if we spent our life trying to find the perfect spot to meditate, and we could only meditate in that spot, and it has to be completely tranquil, the moment that a butterfly goes by and it's annoying us, our mind is still our mind, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So learning to actually be with our situation as is is a really valuable thing, which means, you know, in this case in the same way that we're not necessarily going to like plug up our ears so that we don't get distracted by sound. We're not going to necessarily shut our eyes to block out what we see. If we just rest our gaze a few feet in front of us in a loose and relaxed manner, that can actually become an experience of uh, deep relaxation in terms of the body because we're not sort of one pointedly, you know, shooting lasers with our eyes into uh, one spot, but it also gives us a sense of um, accommodation that we're really just accommodating whatever happens. And if someone's twitching next to us or someone's completely still, that's okay. Our mind is our mind. Yeah. I love that. Um, another element of your book that I liked is you start out with wanting to know why, like what is your intention? You talked about conscious and unconscious intentions, but, but the why of why a person wants to meditate. Yes. I think it's really important because so many of us get disheartened along the way. Mm -hmm. um, we think, you know, I, sh I meditated once and it didn't feel like a massage. I thought it was going to be as relaxing as a massage. And then we never <laughs> want to do it again. Um, and that gets really tricky um, because we, the benefits of meditation is literally rewiring the brain. Mm -hmm. Every time we drift off in thought and meditation, we come back to whatever the object is, a mantra, a breath, you know, the sound we are saying, oh, I don't have to chase after every anxiety-producing thought down each rabbit hole. I can mm -hmm. just do things as they are. So we keep saying, oh, I drifted off, not a big deal. I come back over and over and over again. And that creates new neural pathways in the brain. That work does not happen overnight. In fact, I once heard a neuroscientist talk about it more like rain hitting a mountain. The mountain doesn't immediately create these little cracks where the, you know, the water will flow, but over time, they all add up. Each little raindrop actually adds up so that there's 
new indentations in the mountain. And it's sort of, our brains are very plastic. They're, they're a little bit easier than that. Well, it sounds like a big uh, message in between the lines there is just not to be so hard on yourself. 100%. Yeah, I find a lot of people um, beat themselves up. And quite frankly, you can't use meditation as another way to sort of, you know, perpetuate our own self-aggression. That's sort of counter to the process. Mm-hmm. And we do that all the time, don't we? hundred <laughs> percent. So every time we drift off, we could just acknowledge it very gently and say, hey, it's not a big deal. And yeah. The breath or whatever the object may be. So you had another um, little exercise that I did, um, which was the three-minute why meditation and the words that would come to you during that three minutes. And for me, the words that kept coming back were be here now. And I just kept thinking about those words. Is that almost like a mantra? Yeah, I mean, mantras are interesting. The one translation would be mind vehicle. And they're often a thing that we bring our mind to over and over and over again in the same way we would actually bring it to the breath. Um, in some traditions, you know, such as transcendental meditation, obviously, we are using the mantra as a way to actually um, tune into what's going on to the extent that we transcend the mantra and then relax the mind so it rests in its natural state. But, you know, I, I'd say the difference between a mantra and sort of an intention would be that the intention can change all the time. And that's okay. You know, I think a lot of times people get into meditation for one reason, such as I want to be here now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they say, I notice that it actually makes me kinder to everyone in my life, so I want to be kinder, and I know meditation helps with that. All of a sudden, you have a new intention. So I think there's more, a lot of fluidity when we think about these things, not as like a one set thing of a mantra, but uh, like an actual fluid intention. In any mm-hmm. given day, we might have different intentions for how we want to live our life, and meditation can help with that. And so how would that conscious intention uh, differ from, let's say, an unconscious intention? Yeah, great questions. Let's say that we don't even, you know, we're like, I'm going to try meditation because it sounds cool and I heard it on this podcast, which is fine. But at some point, you know, when you do it three days in a row and you're not seeing these great ramifications of, you know, reduced stress and boosting your immune system and normalizing your sleep and all the things that the research these days are showing us. Um, if after three days you don't do that, you're going to say, I don't want to do it anymore because you don't even know why you got into it in the first place. But if you mm-hmm. have an intention, like I have heard that this is actually going to make me more present and I want to be more present for my life, I want to show up for it in a meaningfully, meaningful way, then you actually are going to be more motivated when you're sitting there on the fourth day and it's really warm and cozy in your bed and you don't want to get out. You say, but here's why I'm doing it. Yeah. So, so, so does that help lead to more consistency when you know your reason? Exactly. It. Yeah. And then you talk about this, you know, hand, handling the obstacles that come up during meditation. So is that just all these crazy thoughts or the anxiety of your day or, the, or someone you have, you're having a discourse with or um, maybe a health issue you're dealing with or financial issue or whatever, um, or even just a to-do list, right? I mean, are all those things just obstacles that, that come in and, then, and that's okay? Yeah, all of that can come in and it is totally okay. Again, you can just not about us trying to transcend be something other than what we are or, um, you know, try to become a better ber- version of Lodro. You know, like that's not the idea. It's actually to become more of who we are. And who we are is actually very accommodating of everything that happens in our life. So who we are doesn't always have to be the most positive person in the room. Sure. According to the Buddhist view, underneath all of our layers of swirling neurosis and confusion and self-aggression and doubt and all of it, and so that innately we're peaceful. Innately we are whole and complete as is. 
And we could actually discover that in this practice where we're just with the breath for 30 seconds, just actually present for 30 seconds. We say, in this moment, I'm okay. And that's actually, then we say, oh, I can go deeper with this. That's when we actually start to have faith or trust in the practice because we have this experience in saying, I was okay as is with my life for 30 seconds. I bet I could do that for a minute. And then we can grow from there. And then how, is there an optimal amount of time that a person should meditate and also an optimal time of day? Great question. So I say for someone who's just starting off with meditation, it's actually really nice to just start at 10 minutes a day. And it doesn't, you know, for some people that might sound a lot, some people it doesn't sound enough. 10 minutes of getting to know yourself is 10 minutes of getting to know yourself. That's wonderful. So setting a timer, you know, something that you don't have to like look at your watch every minute and say, is this over yet? But something that's going to go off. Um, and setting that aside so that you can just do, in this case, you know, mindfulness of the breath practice. Just actually relaxing with the breath, noticing when you drift off, coming back to it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, great. Like that's, you know, whether it, you were distracted a lot or whether you were 100% with the breath, great. Like that's just your experience that day. Because overall, we are, every time we drift off, we are retraining the mind to just be with what is going on. Mm-hmm. It's a consistent time of day. I often recommend people start with whatever they think and play around with it, but then at some point get into a routine. By that I mean really breaking it into you're going to bed routine, you're getting up in the morning routine, you're getting home from work routine. Something that's like, oh, for me, for example, I will get up and I will go for a run, I will shower, I will get dressed, I will walk the dog, and I will sit down, have a cup of coffee, and I will meditate. It's just part of what I do, right? Mm-hmm. And the same way that, like, I also brush my teeth in there, don't worry. But, like, I wouldn't think to mention it because it's just part of the day. Mm-hmm. We could actually get our meditation practice with those 10 minutes of, like, after I brush my teeth and I sit down and I meditate. You know, like, if we can do that, that will go a long way in terms of um, keeping us consistent with this practice and seeing the benefits. But when you think about the benefits in your own life, you've been doing this, really, basically your whole life. How has it changed you specifically, both mentally, physically, emotionally? What, what do you see as the biggest benefits for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a weird case just because, you know, as you said. That's I, who you are, though, right? Maturing into my 30s versus meditating for an extra five years or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I will say that overall, I found that meditation and deepening my practices helped me show up, as I said before, sort of more meaningfully and authentically for my life and part of that is actually just getting to know myself better getting to know some of my bias my own patterns you know sort of getting to know the good bad and the ugly of myself and through that actually starting to free myself of a lot of negative patterns i think there's always work for us to do in that i don't think that i think that people we should be very scared of are the teachers who are like yeah now i'm i'm a hundred percent all better and you should <laughs> well life is an evolution right i mean yeah. new experiences new environments new thoughts new like it sounds like um when i was listening to your talk at google for example i mean just have one book turned into another book and another book i got the feeling and i like to do this you sort of went with the flow of your life and okay that makes sense wow that's an inspired idea i'm going to go in that direction that feels good and i know myself and i I mean is that sort of any does any of that resonate yeah it does i mean for me personally i would say maybe four or five years ago i sat down and i said okay what's the through line of all this stuff you know and i at that point i I guess done maybe two books or something like that and um 
So I book, I literally put up on the wall, you know, I had books and I had online meditation courses I was leading. And I was a private student. And I, had, you know, I was working for a magazine. Uh, I was writing for them a little bit. Like I, I literally put everything I do up on the wall. And uh, I said, okay, I guess the through line here is I really want to make meditation as accessible as possible to everyone. That's, that's the overall intent. And then from there, it was a pretty quick process of saying, what work do I do that actually fits into this and what does not? Mm-hmm. And I, even, you know, hopefully these mindful meditation studios will be around for hundreds of years, but even if it all shut down tomorrow, like that, my ability and my intent of trying to make meditation accessible doesn't necessarily go away. Mm-hmm. This is the current iteration of it. And the books are still an iteration of it. And, you know, teaching is still an iteration. But like, you know, it's, it's, you said, it's always an evolution. So I think we always have to consider the heart intention and then how do we try to manifest it in many, many different ways. Yeah, I really like that because I do a lot of different things all around work happiness and corporate wellness and employee engagement. And, and, and often I think, okay, I do workshops, I do keynotes, I did a TEDx talk, I, I'm speaking at conferences, I'm speaking in companies, I'm, I'm helping people find jobs, I'm helping, like it's just so much different stuff. And I like what you just said about that heartfelt intention you know, what is that? And then put it all up on a wall. And for those listening who are maybe trying to figure out what they do, if they do a lot of things, and just be okay with it and just see where the thread line goes with that, maybe through meditation. <laughs> yeah. it, it's funny, um, I was going to ask you this question, but you've already answered it. Um, you know, a lot of what you've talked about about meditation is being present, but yet you're still okay with looking toward the future. Yes. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's not like, I think people are like, can you have ambition? Can you have goals when you meditate? And of course you can do all of that. But you can't get too attached to what that looks like. Because if we have a really fixed idea, I have to have this position at this company and then I'm going to be happy. Mm-hmm. One of two things happen. We either get that position at that company and we discover that we want something else all of a sudden. Or we um, don't and we're disappointed. So it's like we, can, we can't get too fixed about this is my external factor and I need this thing in order to actually have you know, happiness because those things are going to always shift and change. It, it, I believe that too. I think once you attain something that you've been set out to do, and I've done this many times in my different careers and TV and finance and, and what I do now, once I got there and got that job at that network or got that job at that top investment bank, I went, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I'm getting good at it. Now what? Like you, you're constantly, I think, looking for the next evolution of who you are. Like you said, as you're going, growing into your 30s, you're saying, okay, how does my life all fit together? Do I sit here and meditate for five more years or do I just sort of use meditation as part of my life and see what I'm growing into? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. And so your other book that really struck me was uh, Buddha Walked Into an Office because I work in that environment with companies and as I said, happiness, employee engagement. And when you were talking about dealing with a jerk at work, I just started laughing out loud because I, that's a main thing I deal with all the time. And so how do you address that through the whole being present and meditation process? How do we address jerks? Yeah, <laughs> basically, because <laughs> there's always one, right? It may not be a boss. It could be a coworker. It could be a customer. It could be, yourself to yourself I and mean, how do you advise people to deal with that in the working environment it's a great question obviously we can never actually change how other people are that's right. that's un- the really unfortunate news that no one wants to hear um but we can actually 
decide how we want to show up for other human beings. So in many cases, it's actually creating some space, some time, so that we can actually accommodate some of the aggression that's out there. And it's not saying that we need to sort of lay down and be a doormat for anyone, but to actually sort of like, I often think about the analogy of an angry bull. Like, have you ever seen a bull really stirred up that mm-hmm. an angry bull out in open posture? At some point, it kicks and fights and gets all of its energy out, and then you can actually communicate with it. And there mm-hmm. has to, there's as, as counterintuitive to actually sort of respond to aggression with a sense of space and accommodation and calm goes a long way in terms of actually curbing that aggression over. Yeah, I like that. Instead of just going well and getting defensive or offensive or starting a big disagreement, I like that, letting a little space in there. Right. That's really cool. So out of all your books, do you have a favorite one? Because they're all amazing. I haven't read them all, and I'm going to, but um, those were the two that I read and just loved, and I'm sure I'm going to love all of them. But do you have a favorite? You know, I, I don't know if I do. Um, I will say that, you know, my last one was Love Hurts, which is a book on heartbreak. Mm. And it's been really interesting just because there's a um, a lot of people reach out to me having read that book because they've gone through their own heartbreak and they want to share their stories or they just want someone to actually tell them that they're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't uh, necessarily have a favorite, but I, I do feel like that one is the one that I sort of get the most feedback in terms of like, this was helpful for me, which, which means a lot to hear from people like that. Oh, that's great. And everyone, I mean, not everyone, but most people have had heart heartbreaks and, that's great that you can give them the confidence to know that it's all okay. It's all going to work out. And the meditation can help, which is awesome. So another question I like to ask my guests, Lodro, is do you have any other passions? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I, I do a lot of like very normal human being things. Like I, I run every morning, you know, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have anything very eccentric. <laughs> well reading reading can be i mean i'm a big believer in reading all sorts of different things um to become a better person a more evolved and more aware i i just i love reading too and i think that's very cool and running too exercise is always good all those endorphins and the dopamine and the everything that gets released in the body that makes us feel better and maybe does that and you run before you meditate uh yes i often do and does that just calm your body down, kind of work you to a place of calm? Um, you know, I think they do go hand in hand. I, I think meditation is really healthy in terms of both the mind and body, and it does help me settle in terms of actually getting to the cushion. Sure. So you've got a lot going on, and your mindful meditation workshops sound great. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to go to one of your events or we already know they can find all of your books on Amazon or probably on your website. Um, but how can people really find you and get involved? Yeah. Best thing is really just to sign up for my newsletter. I, I don't post a lot of things in terms of my own self promotion, but if you're involved in that, you'll know everything. So it's my name, lodrorinsler.com. Okay, awesome. Well, Rojo, thank you so much for being on the Masogi Method. You, you're going to help so many people break through barriers in their lives, across their lives, in all areas of their lives. And I'm very grateful that you joined me, and I'm going to start meditating every day, not, ev- not every other day. So thank you again. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for being on the Masogi Method. I'm your host, Jody B. Miller, and we'll see you next time.
Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%, APR 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. 8.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 33. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.